Hi, and welcome back. We're up to Mitzvah 42. First of all, welcome back from the break, and I hope you all had a wonderful Pesach. Um, yeah, so we're diving straight back into things. Rav Hirsch's explanation of a mitzvah, known as Chala. Now, he tackles both Orla and Chadash, as well as all the other commandments that are related to the land. So what we're going to do is three stages. First of all, we're going to explain the reason for these mitzvahs in general. Then we're going to draw it down to the particular explanations of each one. Now, he focuses primarily on Chadash and Orla and Chala, leaving things like Bikurim, Shemitah, to the side. What we're going to do is we're going to discuss in brief what these things are, because he touches upon them all, but we're going to focus in once again on the ones that he feels draw out the message the best and are most relevant to our day and age. So, what is the general idea that when it comes to the land and your possessions, there's something you have to do with it before you can enjoy it? This involves things like truma, which is giving a certain amount to the kohen, misa, tithes, different types of tithes. The first one that goes to the kohen, misa sheni, which goes to you as an individual, that you have to eat it in the Beis Amigdash or in the in the vicinity of the Beis Amigdash, and misa oni, that you give to the poor. Shmita, yoivel, bikurim, the first fruits, that you don't just eat your first fruits, some of them you have to take to the temple. Chadash, at a certain point in the year when the grain is ready, you can't just eat it. There's a process. You have to wait till a certain sacrifice is brought. Um, Orla, the number of years we just got ourselves a tree, so we can't eat the fruit till the third year. The third year, it's considered a problem. Now, it's a debate whether a, a, a passion fruit tree sorry, is considered a tree or a bush, so we're gonna have to see where our rabbi falls down on that question. But simply speaking, when I get a fruit tree, I plant it, I put all that work into it. It's not just mine. I don't just get to enjoy it immediately. There's this gap, there's this space, there's this middle ground that I have to wait for before I can enjoy it. Now, from a very simple standpoint, Rav Hirsch sees the symbolic idea or the educational principle in the category of Eidos being given over to us that there is a universal owner. I don't own everything. Yes, I've been successful. Yes, the tree has blossomed. But I have to wait. This initiates a very important message. And the way Rav Hirsch actually opens up the description in this mitzvah, mitzvah 42, is that success is our biggest enemy. Think about it. When you're struggling, and Rav Hirsch, it's, it's quite validating how Rav Hirsch articulates uh, the experience of life. When things are going well, you, 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 you don't need God anymore. You don't need to look up. You don't need to strive because you're comfortable. It was actually interesting, my, my wife was giving a talk, it was Yom HaShoah yesterday, speaking about Viktor Frankl's work and the danger of just being comfortable. There's something very nefarious about comfort. When things are okay, you don't strive. And in Rav Hirsch's language, you don't look up anymore. You've succeeded, your field is full of blossom. You're good now. You look down, both metaphorically and physically, and you enjoy. And you can lose sight of what your mission is, what your purpose is. That is part of the lived experience of a human being. And historically, when a society has forgotten its mission, its story, and gets lost in luxury, that's when societies fall. And there are plenty of examples throughout history that when the upper echelons of the society became indulging in their luxury and their wealth, they forgot the rest of society. 
they became corrupt and the doors were open to the barbarians, hence the phrase the barbarians are at the gate. So Rav Hirsch explains that the Torah puts in a symbolic ritual, an idea, a mitzvah that stands in the way of that danger. That when we are ready to enjoy our food, there's a pause. Hirsch uses the parallel of challah to the other examples because there are two areas that the Torah warns us. One in the universal sense with like Chadash and Arla, they apply all over, and there are ones that apply specifically in the land of Israel. Challah, for Rav Hirsch, bridges these two, because the sages made challah a universal requirement. So you have the universal aspect, but also the holy land aspect to separating challah. But Rav Hirsch takes it a step further. When it comes to what I've been able to extract from the ground, when I've become successful, I take off tithes, I take off misa. We don't do that anymore. Well, not all over the world, but we, we do something to when, to the item when we take it off the ground, representing not only Hashem as owner and it being given to me as a gift, thereby there is a responsibility that comes along with it, but also when I take it into my home, it's the only thing that's tithed twice, it's the only thing that something is taken off it twice, not only in the field, but also before I eat it, before I make it into bread. So Rav Hirsch's description of this, it not only bridges the gap between the universal and the particular land of Eretz Yisrael, but it also has this bridging of the field to my home. So you don't only have the idea of Hashkacha, of God in the field, but God in my home as well, but also that idea of Hashem being the universal owner and the owner of Eretz Yisrael. Thereby, when I partake as a person in Israel or a person in the outside world, I am reminded of that principle that Hashem is the owner and it is lent to me. Thereby, I interact with it in a different way. You can always look at this through the lens of education. I experience the, the gift differently than if it was something that I own, that is mine by right. It is a different personality. It's a different character that Judaism is developing through the experience of, I made it, I eat it. No, I made it, I wait. And then I eat it. So that's the first broad category that Rav Hirsch develops. The idea that, we aren't the owners. And the danger in slipping into the idea that we are the owners, and thereby, it's mine. And if it's mine, I look down, I don't look up. But Rav Hesh also socializes it. He says, the other people who are looking up, you then feel distant from them. That's the community aspect of religion. When people within a religious structure are all aiming, are all looking up, are all striving, that's what brings a kahila together. If one of them becomes arrogant, if one of them focuses on what he has achieved, he becomes distant. He can no longer look out to his brethren because he's looking down at his stuff. If we are all looking up, we are unified by a greater calling. That is what these mitzvahs are trying to bring out within us, to fend off egoism and stinginess and open us up to a different way of looking at our things. This parallels in how we give tzedakah. The person who's coming to me asking for me I should try and not look at me as being the benevolent one and giving on to him. I should look at it as being a responsibility. Yes, I am. I can be proud in living up to my expectations and my values. So we had the idea of Arla, Chadash, Chala, and the other ones that we'll come across in the Torah that aren't going to be directly relevant today. Next week, we're going to discuss the other aspect of these commandments. Not only convincing myself or looking at myself as being the owner and the dangers that come along with that, but also the misuse. Okay, I have the stuff. How do I use it? 
And this is where Rathash develops the importance of Maisa. Maisa Rishain, Maisa Shani, and Maisa Oni. And we will discuss that next week in part two. Thank you so much for listening. <laughs>